1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another outstanding edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Colick, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, the keeper of the snowblower, New England's own van <laughs> Helsink. With me, all the way from where it never snows, Mr. Steve Parsons. You are so wrong. We have snow on the ground. Get out!
0: We have about one millimetre of lying snow.
1: One millimetre? Is that even visible?
0: Just about. (laughs) But we have one millimetre. And you know what? The whole place came to a grinding halt. The transport stopped. Kids were off school. Disaster. It was like a disaster movie. One millimetre.
1: We just got another foot yesterday on top of the almost three foot that we got uh, about seven days ago, I'm, and we're getting some more on Thursday. So I'm beginning
0: to think you're psychic. Mm. You know, it was a, it was a hot autumn uh, fall. or oh, sorry, unless for our Americans, it was a hot fall day when you told me you'd bought a snowblower.
1: Hmm. You know, all these years of shoveling snow and uh, it never fazed me at all. But now that I'm winding down in my life and I'm ready to go out to pasture, I figure that yeah, might be a good idea. Get but,
0: out of here. You're always at the gymnasium doing cardio stuff.
1: I know. I'm just, uh, you know, trying to keep off the inevitable, inedible, inedible. Indelible. Yeah, that too. Yeah. So, so yeah, so we're it. both snowed in. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, I'll give you that. There you go. So, anyways, um, we have uh, kind of an interesting show, actually. I'm I'm not sure where we're going to go with the show because uh, this is something. Are we ever
0: sure where we're going to go with the show? No, come on, be honest.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've brought on this guest. We've got this clip to play, and I'm really intrigued. Well...
0: I was contacted some some time ago by a gentleman um, by the name of Dylan Jones, who is a former policeman. Uh, He's been interested in the paranormal for, well, since childhood, and indeed formed uh, his own paranormal group, which still exists today, albeit uh, without him. Um, And he's maintained that interest in the paranormal, but he's developed an interest in the media and is an accomplished radio producer. And m- recently made a radio documentary, which is a reason for getting in touch. During the documentary, which runs for uh, approximately fifteen minutes, he he well, I'll, I'll, he can tell it was himself shortly. Uh, but we're going to hear a little clip from it in a moment or two. Q uh, Casey in, in a second. Uh, but I've I've managed to extract a little bit, uh, removing the parapsychologists, because let's be honest, who wants to listen to parapsychologists? So let's have about four minutes from Dylan's radio documentary, and then we can ask him all about it ourselves. Really? Sounds cool.
1: All right.
0: Are you troubled by strange noises in the middle of the night? Do you experience feelings of dread in your basement or attic? Have you or any of your family ever seen a spook, spectre, or ghost? If the answer is yes, then don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professionals.
1: Ghostbusters.
0: Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs.
1: We're ready to believe you.
2: We have all got an image in our minds of what a ghost hunter does. Think back to the classic movie Ghostbusters, currently celebrating its 30th anniversary, and you'll be reminded of Bill Murray's wry humour, giving a student an electric shock during an ESP experiment or being slimed by various spectres. So a typical day for a parapsychologist is not in a haunted house, but in a university studying and lecturing. When they do get to spend time investigating a case in fieldwork, a great deal of the work is spent during daylight hours, not at night time, as the TV shows would have you believe. That is all for the thrill-seeking. So I decided to meet and accompany another parapsychologist, Steve Parsons, as he investigated two locations in West Wales to find out what really happens on a genuine field study. Today I find myself at Pembroke Castle, and at the moment we're in the Moncton Tower, and I'm with Steve Parsons from Parascience. Why are we here during the day? Because
0: the, you have to be there when the majority of people have their experiences, and it's, it's a straightforward fact that in the majority of locations, and particularly at Pembroke Castle... It's the staff who are here during the day working. It's the visitors who are here during the day touring around the castle who have anomalous experiences. So it might be the ghosts are here at 3am in the morning, but you have to work from the known into the unknown. We know that people have experiences during the day when the castle's open, and we start from that basis to try and... I guess, uh, you know, at 101 level, have the same experience. Plus, of course, I mean, even if you're here at night, this idea of turning off the lights. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's great for the Victorian, the Gothic horror writer, the ghost that appeared in the dead of night, you know, uh, and it looks great on television. Of course, night vision, you know, cameras were invented for ghost hunting. I'm sure, uh, and they look spooky. They add ambiance, but that's all they add. Um, the trouble is, if, if you're sitting in the dark, you're probably more likely to be half asleep than alert enough to to notice something. You know, The amount of times you're struggling to stay awake at 3 o'clock and, and you've got the lights off, which doesn't, and you're, it's the middle of the night, you're tired, you're not going to be in any fit condition to document anything. Uh, so we, you know, if we're here at night, if we have to be somewhere because that's when the experiences were reported, then, you know, if the lights are there, if we've got lights in their building, we put them on. We work better. The cameras work better.
2: So from what you're saying, then, things that are done in the media way is not necessarily the correct way.
0: I've done a great deal of television, and I think people forget its primary function is to sell advertising revenue and to entertain. If you don't entertain, you don't sell advertising revenue, and you need, you, you've got to get the viewers. And Ghost hunting television programmes... The, the, the white lady drifting silently down the corridor with arm tucked neatly under arm, it's just so passé these days. People want to take, you know, they, they're confrontational with ghosts and demons and ghost hunting has become ever more extreme both in the use of equipment, this idea that you can take a ghost detector or that you can walk around with a handheld recorder and record spirits yelling and screaming and talking to you. Um, is great for television, and it's great for entertainment, and people need to bear that in mind. Ghost-hunting television shows like Most Haunted, Ghost Adventures, The Ghost Hunters, they're no more real than Coronation Street or EastEnders.
2: My exploration of Pembroke Castle was very revealing. There were no frills or thrills, no cheap off-the-shelf meters, no pseudo-scientific equipment, no night-vision cameras, and certainly no proton packs. Today's parapsychologists and parascientists use modern research techniques in a university setting and the traditional pen and paper out in the field to study what is a very personal human experience. Media portrayals are not to be taken seriously. And if there's one thing that deserves to be busted, it's just that.
0: And apart from the strange background sounds, which weren't heard while we were making that recording, uh, the sounds of tea being made. Um, yes. Good, yes. Good evening, Dylan. Good evening. I'm sorry about the background noise. Perhaps it was EVP on the recording that we missed. Perhaps well, the ghosts yeah, Pembroke well Castle been... were making a cup of tea that particular night.
2: Yes, they were. It <laughs> must have been
0: particular day. Actually, it was middle
2: late morning. It was late morning, and it was a lovely yeah. December morning as well. So why, why did you, uh, what gave you the idea to make the documentary, first of all? Well, I think, like you said earlier on, it, it was something that has always interested me uh, since childhood. And having been in the police and having you know, set up a, a research team at one point um, and, and leaving because of the way things were, were actually turning out... Um, I decided then to revisit it and see whether or not things had actually changed because a lot of the reasons that basically got me to uh, stop investigating was, were the TV programs. They, they really put me off um, and I wanted to see whether or not, speaking to a parapsychologist and paranormal researchers, whether or not they felt that their, their representation in the media was an accurate one.
0: What what, you spoke to Cal Cooper, yes, and um, did did you buy a copy of Telephone Calls from the Dead? Did he try and sell you one by the way?
1: I'll give you one, he
2: actually gave me one, which I thought was very kind of Cal, (laughs) yeah,
0: he's just get desperate to get rid of them um and you also spoke to dr kieran o'keefe as well um yes did you note it, what was you i mean we had to edit them out and of course because i did the ultimate final edit, i edited them completely out and just mm. put my my own bit in um your overall conclusions uh, the differences between parapsychology psychical research and the current state of it after doing the documentary
2: I think when I look back and, and, and see what it's like, I think certain things have changed. Um, some for the better, some some have not. Um, what there seems to be now is that there seems to be even more of, a, of an influx of television programmes. Um, and the actual parapsychologists and the serious researchers, in my mind, don't quite get the credit and the coverage that they deserve. So that's what I was trying to do, was trying to redress that balance now
0: I know whilst we were make, while you were making your documentary we, we did talk about parapsychology um, mm. and you do have some parapsychologists who have who have become career uh, investigators or celebrity ghost hunters uh, did you what so did I uh, when we asked Lloyd Auerbach uh, an American parapsychologist uh, what he thought of parapsychologists in haunted locations uh, they came across quite differently on your documentary, didn't they, as, as not uh, being out in the field, so to speak?
2: Yes, they did, which I, which I thought was quite interesting, because what I found was that both Carl and and Kieran, they, they spend the majority of their time uh, in a university setting, um, doing the lectures, looking at the theory behind uh, the psychology and the parapsychology, which I, which I think is great. Um, but when I look at actually getting out there and investigating things, I think the roles that are needed to to undertake the research of spontaneous cases, they're so varied at the amount of skill set that you need that I think one person can't really do the job um, perhaps in the right way. I think you need a collective of people Mm -hmm. with a set set of skills. Um, Obviously, with your background, you've got one set of skills. One of the things that I always wanted to do um, because of being a police officer for so long was actually the interviewing, because I think mm-hmm. people forget that the most important part of, uh, of an investigation is the human experience at the very beginning. Um, and unless you get a really good witness uh, statement and testimony, you don't really know what you're going to be looking at. Um, so again, there's another skill set to bring in that I think is, certainly on the TV programmes, is one thing you never see. You never see somebody being interviewed in depth about what the experience was.
0: Do you, when we have this representation, there is a public perception of parapsychologists as being the the go to experts in in hauntings and uh, demonic possessions, exorcisms. They always trot out, you know, on these television on television programs. They always have a parapsychologist. Do you think that parapsychologists are creating a false impression? in the public's eye about what they do, and and to an extent misrepresenting parapsychology.
2: In short, yes. Um, because I did not, uh, um, and this was a, a very sort of a personal um, <sighs> journey for me as well, I did not realise just how much work uh, Kieran and Cal did in the university, um, and, and, and that much that went into it. Um, So really, if they're doing that much, can they really be, um, you know, the the right person to suddenly jump from one set of (laughs) their their day life Mm -hmm. and then going and doing that as well? Um, But I think from a TV perspective, and let's bear in mind that TV programmes, like you say, are there to make money, to get people to watch. Um, It's great to have somebody with a title come in, especially if they're from a university, because it adds... A credence and a credibility to what they're trying to show, um, but I would be—it's um, very difficult without putting them down. But its um, i, I've, I it's, oh, put them
0: down, please, because I've said many, many times the last person that should investigate a haunted house is a parapsychologist.
2: I mean, it's—it's it's interesting, but I mean, I—I I, I listened to the um, the, the show the other week with Lloyd Oerbach, and I read his books from a from a young age, and you know, he's one. I think one of the um, exceptions the rule. I think he comes across very, very well.
0: Yes, I, I mean there are parapsychologists, as uh, Dr. Simon Sherwood here in the UK, mm. who have uh, they 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 they're essentially equally interested in both. You know, uh, Simon spends a great deal of time out um, investigating, uh, in addition to the the academic day to day life. Um, so you you. I know have been interested in the paranormal for a long time and yes. um, you're you've been recently posting lots and lots of uh book titles you've been reading all of which mm. feature feature ghosts and hauntings from Ron's neck of the woods what's the fascination
2: that's actually a bit of a coincidence and um, that oh. the ones I've been reading are from that area um which is quite strange um I don't think there's anything paranormal in it, but uh, <laughs> it's. I've always been interested in as a, the human experience. Um, and I've always been interested in the way that apparitions and hauntings fit into our folklore and our culture. Uh, but conversely, also how it's fitted into American culture. Um, and a lot of the accounts are fascinating to read, especially because um, a lot of, um, in, in 1600s, 1700s, a lot of people went from the UK and settled in what is now the United States. Um, and so it's interesting to see what kind of accounts are actually appearing from from that part of the world. Um, so it's it just quite fortunate that it's worked out at the moment that I've been reading books on, on Salem, on, on New England, and um, I think I finished Memphis was one of the ones I, I, uh, I read on the weekend. Um, so I, I quite enjoy reading about uh, what, what's going what are the reports in those countries as well.
0: Do you know, well, maybe actually we should switch the show around a bit now because Ron, Ron is in New England and Ron mm. has investigated many of the cases, I dare say, you've, you, you've just been reading about. Yeah. Um, so maybe it's, it's a chance for you to find out more uh, about those very locations and places and, and cases that you've been reading about. Mm, that'd be fantastic. From the man in the know.
1: Who would that be? You. Oh, <laughs> but to do that, um, Dylan, I have a question. I mean, I understand why you interviewed parapsychologists, but why Steve Parson? I mean, there were so many ghost hunters in the UK. Why Why him?
2: Because he was reputable. Um, and and uh, I, I don't. I, <laughs> I don't want to uh, overinflate his ego, but he did, he did come highly recommended. Um, and I wanted to interview people who... Um, who I felt would would come across very well uh, in a radio documentary, uh, so that's why I approached Steve. Uh, and of course, he lives in Wales, which is uh, which is my homeland. So it was an excuse to visit Wales as well.
1: Well, I mean, evidently, uh, with all that snow there, you must be snowbound too, as well housebound.
2: Well, I, li- I live in uh, in Derbyshire now, right in the middle of England, and it's it's very much snow-free at the moment, thankfully. Oh.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah uh, Steve tells me he's uh, snowed under, so I was just, you know, curious, that's all. He's probably anyway, after the uh, Senate vote. Probably. So, anyways, uh, how can I help you? Well... What, um, do, you, what do you want to know about <laughs> New England hauntings? What in particular? I mean, there
2: are so many things to, to, to find out. I'm just fascinated in the way that, um, you know, the, the accounts and how they... yeah. You know, <sighs> how they come together and you know, how many reports you're getting and the, the American reports, they seem to be very, very um, intense and there seems to be a lot of them. Um, and I just wondered so, if
1: it, well I, I have to ask you then Dylan is where you get your source of information. Is it from uh, you mentioned books? Is it from new books, older books? I mean, that's, that's kind of uh, important to me anyways.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, Trying to get hold of books, you know, it, it can be a bit challenging at times. But um, a lot of the ones are the actual um, Haunted America series. Um, so they tend to be very new. A lot of them tend to be published, uh. I'd say, 2012 onwards. Uh. Um, I'm trying to dig out um, some of the older ones. And I was fortunate enough um, back in 2013 when I uh, holidayed in Florida to, to meet up with, with Dave Latham, who's, who's written a couple of books on uh, on Florida and the hauntings in that area, so he suggested going up to Saint Augustine. Um, so my son and I took a, a took a trip up one Sunday and spent the entire day there, um, which was absolutely brilliant because I think we saw a part that a lot of tourists, certainly from the UK, don't seem to go to.
0: I see,
1: but it's a very it's,
0: good book I can recommend, but it's well, long out of print now. It's called Ghost Chronicles.
1: Yeah. Uh, the imp- it's not out of print. What are you talking about? <laughs> Anyways, the the important thing, uh, Dylan, is, is is that if you look at books that were written pre nineteen eighty, I would guess it would be a good turning. Well, pre nineteen ninety even, uh, you will see quite different ghost stories than you do uh, after that time when the internet came in and the TV shows came. Uh, ghosts uh, were portrayed in a whole different light than they were prior mm. to the internet and TV. And and that has influenced a lot of these stories. Um, so a lot of them that sound terrible and, and everything, I, I think are more the results of uh, the error they were written in rather than what really happened.
2: Yeah, I, I certainly seem to, to have noticed a, a distinct theme Throughout the books, of, and, I, and again, it's some of the things you've mentioned on the radio show in previous weeks about, you know, the shadow people, um, the, the, uh, the, the, you know, the orbs uh, and those sorts of things, um, <coughs> which you won't go any further from. <laughs> so I know that's sort of Steve's pet hates. Um, but so, yes, I can certainly see your point. But it's very difficult trying to get hold, I found, of books from the era, you know, the, the, era the pre-90s, um, mm-hmm. certainly getting hold of
1: them in this country. Oh, well, that's a shame. I mean, and I—I I don't know—is it the same way in the in the UK uh, where you do have a, a totally different look of uh, spirits uh, in the later years versus the early years in the history?
2: I think from from the books that all the books that I read and I've collected, I have got about uh, about six hundred or so now in my own library. There, I think there is a difference. I think. W- you hit You hit the nail on the head with the influence of the media and the kind of things that people are reporting and you, you look at it in the books and again you get you get the shadow people mentioned you demons. get you get you get demons um, and, and these kinds of things didn 't really sort of get any coverage at all in any of the books and I remember when i was um, from when I was about um ten. The books that I used to read were by you know, the writers like Peter Underwood and and, uh, and Andrew McKenzie, and it was very sort of, you know, your you white lady drifting in and out, mm-hmm. and that was very much it. You get the, you know, a lot of the sort of cultural black dogs that were seen in, in, in certain areas, um, poltergeist cases, but there was nothing that seemed extreme, um, and that's what I seem to have picked up on nowadays is this this thing that everything's got to be sort of hyped up.
0: Actually, interesting, culturally, it seems like we've always come full circle because if we go back um, to the 17th century um, and the the idea of ghosts and apparitions, they were always considered to be evil and demonic uh, in the main part and, you know, something that you didn't interfere with and they were considered to be, you know, very much on the dark side. And mm. uh, it's almost like we've we've come full circle. Daniel Defoe writing in the in the eighteenth uh, century, uh, Joseph Glanville a century earlier, um, considered many of these uh, these cases that we we would recognise, for example, as a classic Poltergeist case today, with stone throwing. Sorry, stone throwing, most haunted, um, <laughs> but with stone throwing and with and with uh, people being uh, you know scared to death by by apparitions. Uh, mm. They were always labeled as the work of the devil. Um, so it, it, it's almost like culturally, we're coming full circle.
1: Uh, I see what you're saying, Steve, but I don't know if I totally agree with you. I mean, there are cases, of course, the ones, especially the ones you mentioned, but there are many cases. I mean, you go all the way back to, you know, that first ghost hunter in Greece and... Uh, uh, you know, people were scared because it were ghosts, but it, it wasn't, you know, demons. And, and even in that case, you have someone who used logic. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. To, to solve it, to solve the problem.
0: There've always been the rational ghost hunters. Um, you know, Defoe uh, and Glanville, I just mentioned. They do argue the case that you know not everything is as it seems. But the common impression of ghosts was, or was generally by the common man, laid uh as the work of the devil, the handiwork of the darker side.
2: Mm. Uh, I
0: think but there's intru- no doubt media, the media is driving this frenzy forward, as yeah. you're both saying.
2: Yeah. What I find particularly interesting, certainly a lot of, of, of cases from around Wales in particular, um, you, you had that, that there was always the ghost with a purpose, and it was usually connected to some sort of money or some sort of treasure that was personal to the person yeah. when they were alive. Um, and you don't see much of that anymore. So if, you know, if there's any hauntings where, you know, there are ghosts saying that they've hidden some money, then please tell me.
0: <laughs> if only. Yes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Ghosts, ghosts have gone through cultural cycles. There have been a number of books that have studied the, the sort of social culture of ghosts and hauntings. And ghosts were usually with purpose. And in fact, uh, there is some where, you know, ghosts are forbidden to speak first, but will answer mm. you if you speak to them. Yeah. Um, the ghost in the case of Athenodorus, the one from 2,000 years ago that Ron just touched on, uh, just before we go into the ad break, he was there seeking a burial. Um, he was uh, you know, moaning and groaning and rattling his chains until Athenodorus went out and dug up the skeleton uh, and gave him a proper
1: burial and laid the ghost. Um, and, and more importantly, Athenodorus got his house for a good price. He got it for a very good price, but he only rented it, you see. Bad
0: move, like Price with Borley, only rented. It could have made a fortune. Imagine the tourist industry now down in Essex. But we've got an ad break break coming up, uh, talking about media selling advertising revenue. That's our next job. In a few seconds' time.
1: You do that so good, Steve.
0: I did, didn't I? Yeah. In, in 15 seconds time, in fact, because Maybe I'm using my strange psychic powers <laughs> yeah. Yeah. to waffle into the ad break and let's listen to down. You'll
1: listen to the Ghost Chronicles International right here on told you That, Pararex, Planet Paranormal, Ghost Channel and beyond, perhaps even the Ghost Box. <coughs> An oasis in this hectic world. The creepy and
2: the kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the fair
1: family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the perx family.
0: They're strange. Deranged.
1: New England's own Van Helsing.
0: And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the
2: Blonde Bombshell.
1: And we're here at the elegant Hall, the Downton Abbey of Menace.
2: And we would like to extend a formal invitation to you.
1: To tune in every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Ghost Chronicles Next Generation.
2: On Toginet, Para-X, Ghost Channel, and Planet Paranormal.
1: You can even listen live on your smartphone with your TuneIn app or catch the podcast on iTunes.
0: Now, time for tea. Uh, time for tea, the Americans say. Well, if they haven't thrown the tea in the harbour, but after my cocked-up arrival into the ad break, hopefully a better exit from the ad break, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International, live from... The west of England, the west of Great Britain. See, first cock up. And the east coast of America. And our guest in the heartlands of Derbyshire, England. Who isn't haunted, who's own, who is the who the only one who isn't snowbound.
1: Yeah. The heart east estate, that's
0: where we're on broadcasting. Yeah. Ron's under fourteen foot of snow. We're under one millimeter of snow. And our guest tonight, Dylan Dylan I know he said Dylan Thomas.
2: <laughs> wasn't the first person to say that. <laughs> In fact, you know what? Kat and I call you Dylan Thomas. <laughs> oh, that's kind. <laughs> I, I, didn't ha- I don't have the penchant for alcohol that he did. Ah, it was because she thought, she said, I've never seen him sober.
1: Okay, if you're going to call Dylan Thomas, who's <laughs> Dylan Thomas?
0: I'm so. <clears throat> well, as a, Wel- as a Welshman, I think, Dylan, you should leap on that one.
2: Who is or who was Dylan Thomas? Was one of the greatest poets ever, who spent a a fair bit of time in New York, I think. Isn't that right, Steve? We've spent a lot, great deal of time in the pub.
1: Yes. Lloyd Byron, and uh,
2: famously
0: wrote uh, a superb uh, book play. um, That's been. Mm. It's one of my favourites. It's it's what in fact it's the only piece of fictional. Literature, I guess. It's on my iPod. Um, mm. you, well, you have social,
1: articles
0: there, don't you? Uh, that's, a, that's a podcast. But on my iPod, there is a... There is a, there's a it's a called Under Milkwood. Mm. It's um, beautiful. Which is, which is voiced by Richard Burton, uh, made by the BBC some years ago before Richard Burton, who's a very famous Welsh-British actress, Ron, who was married to Elizabeth Taylor, who was a very famous British...
1: Three or what times? Yeah, yeah.
0: Endlessly. Um, but Dylan Thomas is is one of uh, the most celebrated poets and piss artists in Wales. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, OK. <laughs> now, moving right along. Um, so Dylan... Uh, this Dylan. Dylan... Is it Jones?
2: Jones, yes. Yeah.
1: OK, Dylan Good. Jones. Now, you... What is, I mean, what drives you to continue investigating the paranormal? You found your own group, even though you're not worth it anymore, but you're still, uh, you know, interested enough to, like, interview uh, parapsychologists and Mr. Parsons. What, What drives you to, and you've got 600 books in it, so tell us what drives you.
2: It started that that drive started when I was about eight years old Uh, and and being born in the 70s in in 1984, a certain film came out, um, which I pestered my mum to go and see. Mm -hmm. Um, Hence the reason that was partly why I put the clip from Ghostbusters at the beginning was it fitted nicely with the 30 years. But when I went to see the film and absolutely fell in love with it, the next thing I did was I asked my mum, have you ever seen a ghost? And she told me about an experience that she had had when she was about 17 at her grandmother's house. And that really got me hooked. Is, but it, it was the human experience that got me hooked, not, not the thought of, um, you know, wandering around with a, uh, a little meter that you know, lights up and whatever, mm-hmm. which, when, when I see a lot of these TV shows, I, and they're holding their EMF meters, I'm always thinking, uh, inside, are they thinking, I'm Egon Spangler? <laughs> Yes, That's what I'm always (laughs) thinking. Um, But it drove me on. and I I just read and read and read throughout my teenage years because that was the only way, as you'll know, that you could get access to information. We didn't have the internet. There weren't the television programmes on it like there are today. The only way you could find out was by reading. Um, Mm. And that that drove me further. When I joined the police, I sort of went from being a believer to... At almost a, not, not quite a full turnaround, but it, it certainly got me thinking about um, what the witness goes through, what, how reliable a witness is, and looking at evidence and how we present it. Um, and that that really sort of drove me even further to sort of to study it. And I, I formed a group in South Wales, and initially, really wanted to go down the route of doing everything i but what i thought would be the right way interviewing the witnesses before doing anything else and eventually they sort of turned to these sort of let's use dowsing rods and crystals and that kind of thing and oh. most haunted started and it, it for me it, it just all of a sudden you had what was something that a, a few people were interested in suddenly became a fashionable thing to be involved in um, and it pushed me away I always retained the interest but I felt there was a lot of politics that were going on in groups and um there was vying for who could you know give, show the best um, <laughs> bit of evidence and and to me it it, it lost its it lost its appeal um, but now having had a bit of a break and revisiting um and doing this documentary's really sort of fired it back up um so I'm hoping to do it more. I'd like to start getting back into the investigations again, but I'm, I'm acutely aware of um, the amount of groups out there saying that they do investigations. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm not sure whether or not they are doing it what I would say would be the, the correct way then.
1: You, you know, Dylan, this, this kind of, you know, it always perplexes me when, you know, you made a statement like we started using thousand and rods and crystals. And you dismiss that as something bad. And well, let me finish. Uh, if you are a true historian and investigator, you would see the role of these items in the past and at least try to understand uh, the reason behind them and the results they either don't get or do get.
2: I don't. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't disagree with from what you're saying. Um, the way I looked at it was that I wanted to, to present evidence on what people would accept. Um, I think you, you can take a witness so testimony. Just
1: singing to a particular choir, then is is that what it is? I, or so um, a particular congregation? No, I think.
2: I think when somebody reports. A set of circumstances going on in a premises, and we were special, we were based in one particular area, um, investigating one house. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very sort of mindful of let's get all the witness interviews done, let's do all of that, but mm-hmm. that got pushed to the side. And I think because of what was being shown on television, they wanted to concentrate on those kinds of investigative techniques, mm-hmm. um, and. They were coming up with information which, you know, from, from dowsing rods and crystals, but we couldn't verify anything. Whereas from an interview, from a, a witness statement, you had something I felt, from my personal point of view, more, something more tangible to go on. Not to say that you can't investigate what people say from all the information they get, but I think that was far more difficult to interrogate and break down.
1: You know, I teach a course in paranormal CSI and, and and the purpose of the course is not so much the equipment you use and you have to use all equipment. You have to interview witnesses as well. You have to take in stories. You have to use different equipment uh, even, you know, spiritual stuff or whatever. But the purpose of it is, is not to uh, what's the word? Uh, you know, verify it. you use it but then you follow the evidence, and the evidence, it's, it's a, a mindset. In other words, you follow the evidence, and that's what you're going to get. You, you, uh, we always, for instance, we do them here at VZ, and uh, we'll, we'll do it for several days. And um, at the end of it, everyone has to write me a paper that tells me uh, why is VZ haunted, who haunts it. And um, I think those are the two primary ones. And the purpose of it is, okay, even if you don't believe whatever, but you you have collected evidence along the way, and so you have to analyze that evidence and say, okay, Bouvizi is haunted because we have an eyewitness that says they saw something here. Okay, so that's one ticket. and then we. By combining all the different uh collection from the the, the class, you get a, a general picture of of what's happening um, so whether you believe it or not it's uh, unimportant it's more how you collect the evidence and how you analyze the evidence we We just can't dismiss uh things that are collected because we don't particularly agree with them
0: well. Does that we make could sense? Al- well yeah but couldn't you also uh if we look back through the annals of psychical research because there is that volume of information that we can draw upon i would challenge you to find uh, many instances where psychical methods have shown themselves to provide any form of usable uh, evidence or information relating to a case you know the idea of uh moving a glass
1: or dousing or, or mm-hmm. uh, asking... Is it asking important for... how you collect the evidence or that you get the evidence?
0: Well, if, you, if you're if you obtaining the evidence on, on, on a, a basis of, you know, a, a shaky foundation, then it's going to, you know, diminish the quality of that evidence. Whereas if, for example, you, you deal with objective evidence, so objective evidence um, is... the the sort of things that can be verified. Now, you can verify, although it's really subjective, but you can verify witness accounts. They were there, they saw something, they had an experience, they were with their friend. Now, that information is usable. It provides you with, in fact, only today I was at Pembroke Castle talking to the the castle historian, um, looking at a whole raft of uh, personal experiences that people Mm -hmm. have had. At the location. That provides me with a great deal of information. It also provides me with a lot of interesting ideas about how, uh, which direction an investigation could take. But sitting in front of a Ouija Ouija board and, you know, uh, writing down the letters from a glass, do you know... It's unverifiable, isn't it? I'd be well, chasing my tail. Well, that's not t- necessarily true. That's well, you it just- is, because I'd be, verifi- I'd be chasing women, my tail.
1: It, it, it is verifiable. If you have How? witness accounts that, that a particular name was mentioned by the spirit, and it comes out in a Ouija board or a glass, and you're telling me that's not verifiable? Of course it's not, not verifiable. Give me like this?
2: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, obviously, obviously well, I, you know, I was a police officer for, for 17 years, and I, I found myself... Have been guilty of you know buying a you know an EMF meter because they were using it on television. Yeah. And and thinking, all right, yeah, I'm using this. And I suddenly sat down one day and thought, Do I really know why I'm doing it? What's <laughs> happening nice. with the results? What do these yeah. results mean? And I equate it to this example. If you get caught speeding by somebody using a speed gun mm-hmm. that catches your speed, you stand up in court, and one of the questions they're asked is, Are you trained? to use this piece of equipment exactly how can anybody train to use a k2 and get the results from it unless they really know how emfs work and how the equipment actually works was it calibrated and all those sorts of things so like the example with the speed gun if it hadn't been calibrated it gets thrown out of court
1: Absolutely. But the question is, I guess, is that all these pieces of equipment uh, on every, every investigation, I guess we're pretty close to it, other than perhaps a couple of Steve's, are what's, what's the use of using them at all if, if you don't believe any of the results are verifiable or uh, valid?
0: It's down to the quality of the equipment and the quality of the measuring. Um, you know, I can jump in here, Dylan, I hope you don't mind, yeah. because Please. I, I actually do have real-world qualifications in measuring exactly the sorts of parameters that ghost investigations need to measure, and they mm-hmm. are the environment. And... I, you know, I've, I've said this at the, at the Society for Psychical Research, trying to get them on board with this idea of we need a set of standards. Now, there are a set of standards that exist. There are the ISO standards. Uh, there are also worldwide equivalents. They, they cover ha- measuring everything from temperature to electric fields, magnetic fields, electromagnetic fields. Every form of energy is covered by a standard. The equipment has got to be calibrated to that standard. The measurements have to be carried out in a very particular way to that standard. Now, I know, Ron, you've also... uh, Uh, qualifications in environmental science and you will know the importance of quality measurements in order to produce quality results simply buying a a crowd-sourced multi-purpose meter um, that claims to be able to do six things in one or a device that was designed to detect um Emissions from a leaky microwave oven and then claim it's talking to the dead is no basis for presenting any form of evidence, surely
1: if we can't prove the spirits exist, then what difference is it what any equipment difference?
0: <laughs> well. On that basis, we might as well float a tennis ball in a bowl of water and, and judge
1: which way it's spinning. It may work. It may absolutely work. Well, if we don't believe that spirits exist, yeah, then but surely we, we don't even know what they are that that you can yeah, measure.
0: That's 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 the argument of somebody who that's it's very much the argument of the flat Earth society. It's um, like saying that up. anything is valid as long as I can think of it, because you can't. Prove that it isn't valid. Well, of course, actually, we can prove it's not valid. We can prove that a tennis ball, you know, it's not going to give you anything usable, is it? Because you could make up the results. For example, you take your tennis ball and it goes clockwise. Well, you say that's a yes. So the the spirit was answering yes. Somebody else takes the same tennis ball, and it rotates anti-clockwise, and they say, well, that also means yes. Therefore, the spirit was answering positively to those. And the problem you have with taking mediums on investigations is exactly the same. It's very rare that two of them will say. Exactly the same thing. In fact, only today at the castle, I was talking to the historian and he was relating an account of a figure that's seen commonly walking along the walls of Pembroke Castle. Uh, the figure description between several witnesses is close enough to be probably similar, i.e., it's a grey shadowy figure that walks with either a limp or a stoop. Now, one psychic got the name Jeff and communicated with Jeff who told her his name his occupation the years that he was at the castle another psychic comes along gets the name steve and he steve the ghost also gives the psychic the date the name uh, the the occupation etc cetera, etc cetera. completely different set but from apparently the same figure now Left, left hand rotating, right hand rotating tennis balls. It's meaningless, isn't it? But if the, if a properly calibrated instrument can measure the temperature dropping or increasing, but it's not
1: measuring anything that that you. But if what? that's coincident
0: with somebody saying the room has gone colder, and that can be measured and documented, there you have a subjective account verified by an objective. Which means what's so? up? The
1: air, the room was cold. That's means, all it means.
0: Well, no, it doesn't. It means yes. It will at a base level. I'm
2: sorry.
1: At a base
0: level, it does. But if that coincides with somebody having an ostensibly paranormal experience, and there are within the documents of psychical research, there are sufficient accounts of well-recorded temperature anomalies, Mm -hmm. which are coincident with ostensibly paranormal experiences. Somebody seeing an apparition to make that worthwhile and a direction that's worth pursuing.
1: Jump whatever, on, whatever Jump happens, on. it. Whatever happens. Arrest him. Arrest it, him, it, Whatever happens interviewing Dylan? Book him. Remember <laughs> him? Remember him, I guess?
2: Yeah, I was just telling him to book you. I, I, think I've started, I think I've started an argument that's turning more divisive than having four female <laughs> Ghostbusters.
1: Last time you were on this show, Dylan.
2: <laughs> I wanted to be our producer.
0: <laughs>
1: Oh, I mean, like you couldn't afford me. <laughs> Dylan, that's what the show is all about. And, and it is to be, you know, to be challenged and to, to yeah. look at things in different ways than than just, you know, it's this way and it's the only way it can be. It's mm. not necessarily all the time, especially in, in the field that we're dealing with. It, it has so many variables.
2: Mm. I think one of the, I think what we're all after is to, to present evidence for each individual case, whether that either confirms or goes against what people think they're experiencing. Um, you know, I think... Uh, and just trying to be objective. And I, I felt that I wanted to... You know, if I, if, if I was in court, I want to present my best case. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if I stood up and said, you know, yeah, that, that you know, we've got we've got seven or eight witnesses who've given this description and the, the things that happened, I think people are more likely to accept that as... Um, a, I don't want to use the term "better" way um, than saying that they got some information from some crystals.
1: So let me ask you this, though. then, if you 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 interview a person, they say they they see a, a ghost in this room that I'm sitting in now, and you come in here and, and you take a picture with your camera, and you've got a shadow in your, your photograph. Is that yeah. evidence that this ghost? No. Why not? You've already have a, a witness account that says that there's ghosts in here, and they and say, well, even go a step farther, saying that they see it as a shadow. Would that be evidence? I think you've, you've,
2: got, you've got to interrogate every bit of evidence that comes your way. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so do you pick and choose your evidence, is what I'm trying to say. No, no. I mean, you, you have to take each bit of evidence on its merits. Um, so you, you, you've got the witness testimonies. And you can, you can correlate it with any pictures or photographic evidence, but each one you have to interrogate and be. I think you've just got to be critical about it. Mm-hmm.
0: I think it, it might be more co- impressive if the person had turned around and said, "I can see a shadowy, ghostly figure there as you took the photograph." Mm-hmm. That would be
1: interesting. Yeah. What if but you then- What if you saw it, but it did not show up on your photograph? Then you're okay. psychic.
2: Yeah. Or you could have some issues. I mean, how many it's... people nowadays, are, 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 is this, an, this is a genuine question, how many groups actually consider that when they're investigating it, they, they look at the witness themselves and how good a witness are they?
1: Nobody really. The honest answer
0: to that they is use the these days, next to none, because yeah. these days investigations are predominantly done on the basis of event, uh, yes. public access type events. <laughs> well, let's get down that road.
1: But well, no, let's, we actually, because we've got one coming up. So don't, don't they really, in most groups nowadays, don't they use the witness to validate their evidence rather than the other way around?
2: I think that I think they forget the witness altogether now because I think they just get the mind that, or that look. We've got to report this place is haunted. Let's book a night there. Let's spend all night having a look. The history from the internet. And I think that that is dangerous because I, I can remember when working nights as a police officer, your mind starts fooling your eyes. Your eyes are tired. It's and, and we spoke about this in the interview, didn't we, Steve? That it's really not the best time <laughs> to be looking for things. No,
0: absolutely. isn't it? If, if you're sitting at home yeah. with the lights on watching Downton Abbey, for example, and a big spider walks across your carpet, you're not going to miss that spider. But if you're yeah. sitting there at 3 o'clock in the morning with the lights out and you've been awake for four hours in the dark, you're not going to see a moose that walks across that door.
1: You know what the reply to that is, is that, of course, if you're in the, in the dark and you're more relax, relaxed, your senses are heightened. No, uh, you're asleep.
0: No, seriously. I <laughs> have taken spirit. hundreds of people... I mean, there was.
1: Been- I asked that, we did an investigation that the the old mill in uh, Josh Mantello came uh, from uh, Berkshire Paramount and joined us, and uh, the owner of the mill asked me, why do you investigate in dark? And I said, because it's more fun. <laughs> but for the most part, there's really no need to. If you see spirits, you investigate them wherever the accounts come from. If they're seen in the daytime, you do it in the daytime. you're seen at night, you do it at night. And Josh came up with the point, well, if spirits uh, emit light, okay, here's a whole new thing. You'll see them better in the dark, which was an interesting thought. Uh, i not saying I agree with it, but it was an interesting thought. An interesting thought, but uh, factually incorrect. Well, it I flies, <laughs> in
0: f- flies, in, flies in the face of the evidence because the majority of ghosts are seen by daylight. There you go. Or, in, or with the lights on. Mm. Yeah. But um, speaking of ghosts, now, Dylan, uh, you're making a return visit this this weekend. I've, I've already alluded to Pembroke Castle several times, and it was, it was the location where you recorded the documentary interview with me. Mm. Uh, why are you heading back to Pembrokeshire this weekend?
2: Because it's my birthday, <laughs> and I really want to go. Oh, <laughs> God. <laughs> and why Pembrokeshire in particular? <laughs> because um, it's a great place, and you're there. Um, oh, right.
0: Well, there i a, a... I'm trying to get Bill... I've saved me promoting it. This weekend we have a, a very rare public investigation of Pembroke. In fact, a very rare opportunity to conduct a serious uh, public access investigation of Pembroke Castle. Unfortunately, it's sold out, so there's no point in me promoting it further. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Really? Uh, so, so that's my weekend, and that's Dylan's big birthday weekend plan. So, what's your well, weekend? That's your
1: birthday, Dylan! And by the way, that was the you, doorbell, which means Peter is here. And so we've got to move along. So, uh, Dylan, so I ready?
0: was going to ask you what your what your weekend was, Ron. What? Well, shovelling. You know, we'll, shovelling snow. Uh, <laughs> something about red light
1: seances? Uh, that's tonight, actually, right here at VZ. Uh, I am going to—this is something cool, and I'm really excited about it. Um, we're going to try to copy the work of or well, not copy, but follow in the footsteps of uh, Thomas Gwinwin Hamilton and uh, document the uh, seance, uh, and hopefully we're going to move it along into uh, physical mediumship eventually, and we plan on using, as we go along— uh, different devices, the bell box and the, the cabinet and all those different things, so it, I'm kind of excited, know I mean, it's all going to be documented, recorded and uh, videotaped and, and uh, all that cool stuff so I'm, I'm psyched about it to see what happens, and I just got a trumpet, so I'm really excited. You're
0: not going uh, to fasten the medium into uh, a metal cage uh, and electrocute them?
1: Eventually, yes.
0: Oh, cool, I want to be there, I so yeah. want to be there, I want to pull yeah. the switch.
1: Fried medium, delicious. Yeah, <laughs>
0: We can burn witches at Spirit Quest also, can't we?
1: Uh, th- that's coming up actually Friday night uh, on Spirit Quest as part of the Dining with the Dead. We uh, will be having a witches bonfire, believe it or not. And tickets for that are available? On our website, anyghostproject.com. The letter N, the letter E, ghostproject.com. And we have a okay. special too, so there you go. Dylan, how can people
2: listen to any more of your documentary? a very good question. If they go onto SoundCloud and search for uh, most flaunted, they should find it. Excellent. Really?
1: That's, that's cool. Uh, Steve, you have to send that link to me because I, I'd like I, to put I'll, that up. I'll do that as soon as we come off air. That'd be cool. Yeah. Dylan, thank you so much uh, for joining thank us. Thank you. It's madness and, and I hope I didn't offend you in any way any more than normally I do.
2: <laughs> Not at all. Not at all, Ron. Thanks, Dylan. I'll see you at the weekend, mate. See you then.